0: Welcome to Rights Hub Right Now, a podcast by the Oxford Human Rights Hub. I am Jishika Saigal, a DPhil student at the University of Oxford. Today, I will be talking to Narishka Singh from the Social Economic Rights Institute of South Africa, or SERI. I also have here with me Timothy Hodgson, Legal Advisor on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights at the Africa team of the International Commission of Jurists, or ICJ. SERI develops and implements strategies to challenge inequality and realize socioeconomic economic rights in South Africa through its litigation, research and advocacy efforts. The ICJ, composed of eminent judges and lawyers from all regions of the world, promotes and protects human rights through the rule of law by using its unique legal expertise to develop and strengthen the national and international justice system. Welcome Narishka and Tim. Thank you. Thank you. In this podcast, we will explore the cutting-edge research of SERI on mapping evictions in inner city Johannesburg, and in particular, on the role played by the magistrate's court in relation to eviction applications. Narishka, let's start by talking about the issue of evictions in the inner city of Johannesburg. What is this issue, and why is it an issue?
1: Before starting to talk about the inner city evictions we need to realize why having access to the city is so important and that is a remnant of spatial inequality which is a relic from the apartheid urban planning system which basically means that infrastructure, social development, social amenities are all located in the center of cities and the outskirts are underdeveloped and despite being you know 20 plus years out of apartheid this is still something that we need to overcome Um, so because of that when people are evicted from the city center we often see that this is further marginalizing financially and financially excluding poor people from accessing schools job opportunities um, and social security so that's kind of where the research is founded it's looking into Who's evicting? Why are they getting evicted? And what circumstances is it happening under?
0: So you mentioned apartheid and you mentioned poor people. Are there specific categories of poor people that we're talking about?
1: Yeah, we are. In the sense of what economic income group we're talking about, a lot of our research shows that the people who are being evicted from the inner city live below... 3,200 rand a month, which places them in an indigent uh, economic group. Uh, These are low-income Black South Africans and foreign nationals who are being evicted unlawfully.
2: Yeah, so um, in addition to the question about there's obviously a racial aspect to it and there's obviously a class dynamic when it comes to uh, who is being evicted. In South Africa, what's important to understand for listeners overseas is that uh, because of land dispossession of black people um, and segregation laws which prevented people from living in the inner city centers, uh, people don't have anywhere lawful to live in general. The majority of the country does not own land upon which they can live. So taking up uh, occupation on the outskirts of the city close enough to go to work, as well as taking up occupation in even dangerous buildings in the city is appealing. And that's just to add to the general phenomenon around the world of globalization. And globalization produces this type of living situation in many countries in the world. And there are evictions resulting from this all around the world.
0: Are evictions a human rights issue? And if so, why?
2: So the basic starting point as an international human rights lawyer is that uh, the International Covenant on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights uh, protects the right to adequate housing. In terms of the right to an adequate standard of living. And according to that, it's generally accepted in international law that a category of evictions described as forced evictions are not lawful. And forced evictions are evictions that happen uh, by force, as the definition says, uh, but also without sufficient legal process and protection. So you are subjected to a forced eviction, not only if you're physically forced from your house but also if you are evicted without a legal process and a court order. Mm-hmm. And that's the basic principle of international law, which applies around the world. In South Africa, there are various pieces of legislation and the constitution which confirm this and specify more details. Mm-hmm. But the last thing I'll say about that is that about, other than housing, um, losing one's home creates violations of any other human right. So it becomes difficult to access the same school, to access the same uh, healthcare services, to be able to get to work, Um, in addition to just enjoying general human dignity, because the home is very fundamentally the place where human beings can be cared for, respected, feel happy, feel sad. And so it's at the core of human rights. Evictions really strike at the core.
0: So you mentioned that there is a legal framework around evictions or access to adequate housing in South Africa. Could you briefly describe that?
2: Sure. So the starting point is there's a specific provision of the constitution. Section 26.3 of the Constitution, which prevents people from having their homes demolished or being removed from their homes uh, without a court order. And law has to be made in terms of the provision of the Constitution. There are various laws. So the general principle, it doesn't matter which law you fall under, is that the Constitution protects you against arbitrary and lawful evictions without a court order, which is a little bit broader than the protection against forced evictions in international law. But there are specific laws for unlawful occupiers. So there's a particular law called the Prevention of uh, Illegal Eviction from Unlawful Occupation Act, which is called the PIE Act. And that protects people who are not lawfully on land, but have nowhere else to go. And it creates a process whereby the state is supposed to engage in mediation with you, regardless of whether or not you're evicted by a private entity or not. Uh, supposed to provide alternative accommodation if you will be rendered homeless, and a variety of other protections. There are several other laws which deal with rights against eviction, but it's uh, that's the basic position.
0: Thank you, Dim. So, Nirishka, tell us more about Seri's project on mapping inner-city evictions.
1: The project is basically to get more first-hand data of what the reality is of people who are being affected in the inner city. And we looked at a five-year time frame, so from 2013 to 2018, and we looked uh, at a multiple of data sources. We're still in the process of collecting data, but so far we've looked at the case files of other public interest organizations, as well as the case files in the Johannesburg Central Magistrate Court. When we were sorting through the data, we looked at an 11 ward radius, so the geographical wards, of Johannesburg, we picked 11, which formed the heart of the inner city of joburg What we then did is we wanted to ask questions of who are being evicted, what are the personal circumstances of uh, the evictees, as well as the applicants who are instituting these proceedings, just to get a real sense of the dynamics um, of these eviction applications. And obviously between, you know, different data sources, the questions vary slightly, but What we found in the magistrate's court, which was the most surprising, is that the eviction applications weren't about hijacked or abandoned buildings, which is a rhetoric we hear a lot about the inner city of Johannesburg, but it was about the evictions of leaseholders and lease applications that had been cancelled. And that raised a few
0: questions. So could you tell us more about what you're finding at the magistrate's court? So, like I said, the relationship that we're looking at most is private
1: holding companies trying to evict tenants from buildings in the inner city. And what we found is there is a dense concentration in uh, areas such as Hillbrow, as Hillbrow. Uh, So it's one specific ward in this 11 ward radius. It isn't scattered throughout the inner city. It's very, very uh, concentrated. And that was interesting because it does speak to the need of people to be right in the middle of the city, to access schools, to access job opportunities and that kind of thing. Another thing that we saw is that 95% of the cases... Uh, did not fully consider the personal circumstances of the evictees. And I'm sure as you would know, uh, this is mandated by PI. So the job of the, the presiding officer in an eviction application is to understand what impact this eviction will have on the people who are being evicted. The problem with this is that in most of the cases, 84% of the cases, the respondents did not come to court. Uh, so they were not there. So the eviction was granted in default. Added to this, most of the cases, again, in the eighty percentile, were completely undefended, which means they had no legal representation. So if there's no personal circumstances being put in the file in terms of your pleadings and your legal arguments, and the applicant then does not come to court, there's no real way for a magistrate to know whether or not uh, granting that eviction order will lead to homelessness. And that is something our constitutional jurisprudence has said has to happen because an eviction that leads to homelessness can't be considered just and equitable. So that was something that that stuck
2: out. So the the context of this uh, is that the Constitution itself says that all relevant circumstances must be considered before an eviction order can be granted, uh, which would be just and equitable in the circumstances. At the level of the Constitutional Court in South Africa, there are many cases on housing rights and evictions. And there is a recent case uh, of a year ago uh, where the Constitutional Court decided that in fact judicial officers in the position of magistrates uh, or high court judges have a proactive duty to inquire about relevant circumstances. So the position of the court is that that you cannot <coughs> evict people if you don't know their circumstances. And if they don't bring their circumstances to you, then you as a judicial officer must make sure that you can acquire the circumstances. One of the ways of doing this is to involve the state in the case, even when there's a private landlord, and to ask the state to report on the circumstances, which the landlord may not be able to do. Um, Another thing to emphasize about this context is that magistrates often uh, might not fully understand what the PIE Act actually intends to protect. So as I've said, it specifically protects people who are not lawful. It's an unusual law like that because normally we provide legal protections for legal people. And so the rhetoric that lawyers come to court with and private uh, private owners come to court with is there are people who are not legally on my land because they haven't paid rent, they don't own it, they just hijack the building. And then they all say to the magistrates, well, the Pi Act and the Constitution, these things are important, but they don't apply because these are land invaders. But the Constitutional Court has been clear that land invaders, or what we are calling land invaders, specifically what is protected by the law. And so there you have a fundamental problem, which is that the judicial officer in a case-by-case basis might not have the information and might also think that uh, the facts exclude the law, which is actually applicable.
0: So tell me something more about this. You mentioned that the magistrates um, may not be aware of the PIE Act, what it entails, who it's meant to be protecting. And therefore, this makes me wonder, what are the institutional constraints under which magistrates are operating? Why is it that magistrates may be unaware of their duties under Pi, under the constitution, etc.? So what what is causing all of this?
2: So magistrates are are wildly overworked and uh, they also don't necessarily have the benefits as in high courts and higher up of legal arguments, both written and uh, substantive, by lawyers who understand the circumstances. Very often you've got a private lawyer who happens to be the lawyer of a landlord or something like that, who might be aware of property law, but not of property law under the constitutional dispensation. So that's the first point. They don't have the benefit of those things. The second point is that this massive jurisprudence that I'm talking about um, doesn't appear on the face of the Pi Act. So one has to do much more than read the Pi Act. Uh, to be able to work out what is going on. And magistrates don't have a lot of time because they're dealing with many, many cases in their courts every single day. And they might have several eviction matters on a particular day. So time is another constraint. But when it comes to broader institutional constraints, um, recently, over the last 10 years, there is an institute called the Southern African, South African Judicial Education Institute. And it's tasked with providing training to judicial officers in general. And those judicial officers that they provide with training are mostly magistrates, and the formula that they have is that they use judicial educators who are magistrates to train magistrates. Um, They do have training on evictions, um, and this is training which all magistrates should at some stage have, but the institute, like many state entities, is not very well funded or supported, and therefore is not capable of reaching consistently all magistrates, for example, every time there's a new constitutional court decision. So they might get a standard training and then the law might advance and then you don't end up with a situation which uh, has all magistrates knowing specifically what's going on. You also have new magistrates who are provided with some training but may not be fully prepared because their practice before they were appointed was in criminal law or in civil litigation, which has nothing to do with human rights in some instances. So this, these are some of the background uh, institutional constraints that exist.
1: Just to add into you know what Tim was saying is that what I found when looking at these cases is that from time of the institution of the application to the time the eviction order was granted is roughly three months, and that is not a very long time um, to establish fully what kind of impact uh, an eviction is going to have on people. So I think you know there was a very clear trend in how quickly decisions had to be granted, and I think that was what you're saying was clear mm-hmm. in the evidence.
0: All right, so we've been talking about magistrates and we've mentioned the High Court and the Constitutional Court. Why is the magistrates' court important?
1: If you're middle, low to middle income, um, chances are you'll fall within magistrate court jurisdiction, which means that what happens at the magistrate court is going to be your access to justice and the justice system in South Africa. Uh, for the For extremely, you know, for lower income households, they might not have the financial means to appeal, and they might not have the backing of civil society, which means that what happens at the magistrate court is probably going to be final. And I think that's really important to think about because we do have a system where appeals are possible and things, are, but if that you're financially excluded from those avenues or for whatever reason can't get further assistance, you really are dependent on a magistrate fulfilling its constitutional obligations to bring... Uh, you justice in your personal you know, capacity.
2: From an access to justice angle, there's another bit of this that's interesting. So we have a right to access to courts in South Africa and access to justice more broadly interpreted. But um, legal aid, the legal aid system, provides criminal support in the majority. The civil support that they provide is extremely limited. And it's limited even further by the Legal Aid Act and then also by the practice of legal aid South Africa. So the majority of instances which I have come across in which legal aid itself has provided support in eviction matters is providing support to low income landlords trying to evict people, which means that the people who are being evicted in the circumstances are not being provided with the civil assistance. So there's very little support. The only support that exists is in the majority when you either go to a paralegal um, which helps in many instances, or if you come to a not-for-profit NGO like the Social Economic Rights Institute or Lawyers for Human Rights or the Center for Applied Legal Studies for And in general, these organizations will tell you that they're inundated with cases and they can't take enough. And if they refer to legal aid, legal aid will say that they don't have capacity. Mm-hmm. Even though we are hearing that, uh, the capacity that legal aid has is being used on assisting in procuring lawful evictions for landlords rather than protecting people from unlawful evictions, which is a matter of policy which could be open to debate, but it's something which is happening.
0: So, Nareshka, do most uh, public interest organizations in South Africa, and and Tim mentioned a few, do they usually appear before the magistrate's court, specifically in eviction matters? Or or is it that these institutions are litigating mostly in the High Court or in the Constitutional Court, etc.? From
1: what the research shows is that civil society as a whole litigates from the high court up. So from the high court and then the battle sort of begins to the Constitutional Court if that's necessary. I think there are a lot of reasons for this. Um, Partially, from what I can tell, it's also about capacity and the hope that once you set a strong constitutional principle that is progressive and inclusive and uh, protects the right of the most vulnerable, that that begins to filter its way down in its interpretation. I think that's probably a strategy adopted by a lot of civil society organizations. Um, how effective that's been is obviously another question on its own. Um, and I think there are also a lot of other reasons why. But from what I could tell, there was no civil society involvement in the magistrate court.
0: All right. So, Narishka, what is your takeaway from your research on innocent eviction applications before the magistrate's court?
1: I think that as a a part of civil society, we need to redirect our our scope a little bit. And even if it means we're not always able to litigate on an individual basis in the magistrate court, more research really needs to be done in the magistrate court level to ensure that what's happening doesn't uh, defy our constitutional our constitutional obligations. So that was my takeaway from this. The Magistrate Court is, is extremely important and it shouldn't be overlooked just because it doesn't have the power to set powerful precedent. I
2: mean, the only thing I would add to that is that we really need to support the South African Judicial Education Institute more. Um, they currently spend a lot of time from my understanding uh, needing to find partners to work with just to be able to fund basic functions which are legislatively mandated. So it's a legislative body. And there needs to be more support from the Department of Justice to make sure that magistrates are provided with the information that they need to be able to do their jobs. And it's not even just the information, I'm talking about resources, internet connections in remote places in the country, books, which will help them to try and do their work. Definitely researchers could contribute to this by concentrating more on the magistrate's court, writing more for magistrates instead of writing for high court judges and other researchers and academics, which we often do. From a civil society perspective, the problem is resource constraints, and it would be good to see people focusing on the magistrate's courts more, but it's very understandable why that's not the case. So Legal Aid South Africa also is another underfunded institution, which has had this year workers rightfully going on strike saying that we cannot work like this. We have too much work, we have too little support, and a lot could be done to improve this by funding both those two major institutions, Legal Aid South Africa and the South African Judicial Education Institute, who do, I think, what they can, um, although I might have some disagreements with their policy decisions sometimes, but uh, they really need more support to do the work that they're doing.
0: Thank you very much, Nereshka and Tim for joining us.